Yeah. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you. So um, as most of you know, I'm Lyndall Johnson, one of the local Dharma leaders, and I'm going to be leading our meditation and giving the Dharma talk today. It's my turn this week. Welcome, a big welcome to everyone, whether you've been coming for a long time or just, you know, coming for a short time. It's really wonderful to see you all here and um, very nice to be together. So as we enter this space, let us remember we're entering a sacred space, a space for being in the moment with whatever is present. And that's true even you know now when we're all in our own separate homes, as it is if we're sharing this physical space. We recognize our deep connection with one another, for each of us is welcome just as we are freeing our minds of greed, hatred, and delusion through this practice offers the opportunity for others to do the same and reduces ignorance and hatred in the world. It is with gratitude that we practice together. Now, as I mentioned before, we're doing a series now on the three pillars of the Dharma and Dana, Sima, and Wisdom. And this month, the last month of this series, we're talking about wisdom. And Arv got us started off last week with a really wonderful talk about some of the qualities that help us to develop wisdom from all of the different things that come up in our daily lives. And some of the qualities he mentioned were a sense of non-identification or non-self, you know, not taking things personally, and mindfulness, right view, discernment, and forgiveness, really all really wonderful qualities of mind. And so I'd like to continue today with that same theme of wisdom and the cultivation of wisdom. <clears throat> and I wanted to start by noting that this third pillar of wisdom is sometimes identified as wisdom itself or panya in Pali, which would be more like the truths of the Dharma. But it's also sometimes identified as bhavana, and that has a meaning that's something more like the cultivation of wisdom or the actions we do to develop wisdom. And for me, I think it's really helpful to see this pillar as including both, you know, the important teachings and the development of our understanding of them. And if we think of these three pillars as uh, three really important supports for the Dhamma itself that makes it possible for it to stay alive and be transmitted to those of us who are interested, then the idea of wisdom itself as the third pillar fits really well, I think. Because to keep the Dhamma going, we really need the teachings and the practices themselves, and they need to be passed on from teacher to student, from generation to generation. So we really have access to the living uh, practice of the Dharma. 
And if that hadn't happened in the past, we wouldn't be here practicing today. If it wasn't for our teachers, we wouldn't be here practicing today. But we can also think about these three pillars as the three supports we need for our own personal practice. You know, the things we need to do to make our practice strong. And in that sense, this word bhavana really fits in the sense of what we need to do to develop wisdom. So, you know, both ideas are, both definitions, I think, are really useful. But before we start to talk about developing wisdom, um, it might be helpful to first consider what wisdom actually means. What is this wisdom that we're developing? <coughs> and there are a lot of different kinds of wisdom. <coughs> when we, but when we think about wisdom more in the context of practicing the Dharma, a good source for this is the Eightfold Path. And it lays out pretty well what this wisdom is all about when it talks about wise intention or thought and wise view and understanding. <clears throat> so wise intention or thought means that we orient ourselves toward kindness and non-harming and also towards renunciation or, you know, that quality of mind where we're willing to let go and willing to let be rather than clinging and grasping. And wise view is basically the easiest way to say it is understanding the Four Noble Truths. So we really understand um, suffering. We understand the origin of suffering. We understand the end of suffering and the way of practice that leads us there. And this also includes understanding the three characteristics of dukkha or suffering, anicca or impermanence, and anatta or not-self, since these are so much a part of understanding, you know, really what leads us to suffering and how we can um, free ourselves. And these three characteristics, all of these teachings we've been talking about over, you know, the past several years, you know, working with all of them. So many of them are, I think, quite familiar to you. Now, <coughs> in the great meditation manual, the Visuddhimagga, the monk Buddha Gosa really emphasizes understanding the three characteristics as especially important. And he calls this Vipassana Panya, or what we might call in English, the wisdom of insight. And he goes on to say that this understanding is so important because it, in his words, or the translation that I read, abolishes the darkness of delusion. So when we have that understanding, it frees us from all of our delusions about the true nature of things, the delusions that really keep us getting caught up in greed and hatred and, you know, causing so many problems and for ourselves and so many problems for other people around us. And so this is really something to explore in our practice, you know, this sort of sense of a promise of 
really be able, being able to find this, you know, liberating wisdom. So, you know, really something to investigate, to see for ourselves, you know, is this really true? Can we really find this? And you also get a sense from the description that this is something that goes really deep. So it's not just knowing about it, knowing about these three characteristics, but really knowing and really seeing their relevance and the freedom understanding them can bring, really knowing as Arv talked about last week. Now in the Abhidhamma, which is a um, Theravadan commentary on Buddhist psychology, it's this sort of big like map of all the different states of mind that you might possibly encounter. Um, it says there are three types of panya or wisdom. Learned panya, <clears throat> which is the knowledge or wisdom that we get from books or from listening to others. Reflective panya, which is knowledge or wisdom that we get from thinking and reasoning about things. And then panya from spiritual development or, or what is called, you know, bhavana, maya panya, which is knowledge or wisdom that we really get from our own direct experience. The Buddhist uh, monk and meditation master Ajahn Lee put it in a slightly different way, saying that the first two types of understanding of the Dhamma are Dhamma based on the theory level, well, the third is understanding based on the practice level. So all three of them, I think, are really useful and we really need all three of them. You know, we can't really practice the Dharma if we've never heard about it. So we need this learned Panya. And we can't decide that we want to practice without spending some, some time thinking about what we've learned and you know, getting this feeling that, yeah, you know, this really makes sense. This might be something worthwhile to look at a little more closely. So we need that reflective panya. But we can't just stop there, you know, with learning and thinking, oh, you know, yeah, this sounds good. It's a good idea. The third type is really critical. You know, we really need to develop that understanding from our own direct experience so we know and understand this wisdom for ourselves. So how do we do this? How do we develop this wisdom? And here we come to this second meaning of the pillar of the Dhamma, or second word for the pillar of the Dhamma, bhavana. And this word literally means cultivation. Sometimes it's translated as meditation, that's an important part of it. But another translation that's often used is mental training or mind training. And because in its broader meaning, it includes not just what we do on the cushion, but all of the different things we do to help develop the mental states that lead to the unfolding of wisdom. Another description I've heard that I really like is a citta bhavana, which means the cultivation of heart and mind. And you know, that really kind of encompasses it all. It says it all. 
Um, the Buddhist scholar Alan Wallace describes bhavana as in this big sense, you know, to cultivate your heart, to cultivate your mind, to cultivate your attention skills, cultivate the virtues of patience, forbearance, equanimity, wisdom, compassion, loving kindness. So in other words, you know, it's the full meal deal, cultivating all of these wonderful things that we need for our development. I also came across some writing on bhavana by the Buddhist scholar Glenn Wallace. And this was interesting to me because he talked about how this word um, bhavana in the Buddhist time would probably bring to people's mind images of a farmer cultivating their field. And he goes on to say how this would give a sense of you know, the naturalness and or ordinariness of this process, because at that time, all over the place, there were farmers cultivating their fields. And he said, too, that this might also suggest an attitude of hope in association with this cultivation, because no matter how fallow or damaged a field might be, it could always benefit from cultivation. It could always be cultivated and enriched and developed, eventually to produce a good harvest. And I think this analogy, analogy is really a nice one too because it suggests a sense in which this whole process isn't fully under control, just about the process that we all are familiar with if we do any kind of gardening or anything like that ourselves. You know, we cultivate, we create favorable conditions but our harvest of wisdom is going to flower in its own time and in its own way. And we can't be exactly sure how this process will take place. So as I mentioned before, this cultivation can include lots of different aspects of the practice. And informal meditation, the most common aspects that are talked about are that um, samatha or samati bhavana, cultivating uh, calm and steady mind and concentration, and vipassana bhavana, or cultivation of insight. But there are other forms that are talked about too, like metta bhavana, cultivation of loving kindness, and kaya bhavana, or cultivation of the body, which might mean you know, learning to take care of our bodies so they have the strength and health to support us along the path. Or maybe, you know, cultivation through mindful movement practices like maybe yoga or qigong or walking meditation that help us to stay mindful in movement. You might think of that too. So there's lots of things that can be involved in this cultivation. And if we look again to the Eightfold Path for some guidance about this, the development of wisdom through meditation or mental discipline, here it talks about three different elements, three different recommendations. Wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And wise mindfulness, I think we're all pretty familiar with, you know, being aware of an and attentive to our experience of the present moment. 
in all its various forms, you know, mindful of the body and its sensations, mindful of the pleasant, unpleasant or neutral quality of our experience, mindful of mental objects, all the different things that can arise in the mind, our thoughts, our emotions, our mental images, all of that kind of stuff. And um, it's also recommended in the Eightfold Path that we should do this wise mindfulness with an attitude that's alert and ardent and, you know, really kind of putting our, aside our concerns about all the other everyday things that are going on so we really look at what's happening in the present moment. And then wise concentration has to do with the developing the calmness and steadiness of mind that makes it possible for us to actually be present and see all of our experience without getting too distracted or overwhelmed or absorbed or caught up in it. And also, um, it involves developing those mental factors like energy, interest, joy, tranquility, and equanimity. You know, these mental factors that really go along naturally with deepening, deepening concentration. And there are, you know, different techniques to develop mindfulness and concentration and different teachers will suggest different approaches and different methods to do this. And, you know, this can be pretty confusing. I know I found that it was pretty confusing myself, especially well, I could say at the beginning of my practice, but I think this went on for a while and sometimes I still experience it, this sort of confusion or kind of a feeling like, well, I have to figure this out and decide, is this the right way? Is this the wrong way? And um, gradually I've really come to understand that it isn't really a matter of this is the right way and this is the wrong way. It's more sort of a, a situation of there are varieties of ways and it's more like finding out what's the most helpful way for me. So we can all experiment and find out the techniques and the processes and approaches that really work for us and, you know, let the other ones go or maybe know that, well, this is there for maybe another time when it really will be the best thing for me. So there's different ways, different approaches. When it comes to concentration, for example, we can develop it through steady attention on one object like the breath, or we can develop it through steady attention on changing objects, the way that we do when we do our insight practice, where we're really looking at all these different things coming and going, but our attention stays steady. And our concentration might sometimes be very deep and absorbing, or it might be just enough so we can stay steady and maintain that continuity of mindfulness as all our different experiences unfold. And our mindfulness too can have different qualities. It can be really wide and spacious, like an awareness that holds all things, or it can be really deep and penetrating. So we're seeing into whatever object comes up with the almost like microscopic clarity that sort of takes it apart and 
you know, sees all these different things. And it's not like one form is better than the other. It really kind of depends upon the situation we, we're in. So we really don't need to say, this is right, this is wrong. And two, you know, what we experience in our formal meditation on the cushion is bound to be different from what we experience in daily life. In daily life, wise concentration might look more like giving our full attention to whatever we're doing without always distracting ourselves and multitasking. And mind, wise mindfulness be something that's really a very light, kind of a light attention that checks in as we go about our activities to notice what we're feeling in the body, noticing our attitude of mind, something more like that. So I know I found it really helpful not to have fixed ideas about what uh, my meditation practice has to be, but to be more open and, you know, kind of see what develops in different situations, what works in different situations. And to recognize it's not always going to be quite the same. And then finally we come to wise effort. And I left that for the last because I think this can be probably, you know, one of the most challenging of all of really understanding what this is. So wise effort has to do with the quality of effort that you bring to this, you know, endeavor of cultivating mindfulness and concentration and wisdom. So wise effort is often defined as encouraging the development of wholesome qualities and abandoning the unwholesome ones. And that's true, that's a good definition, and that's fine as far as that goes. But we also need to think about the approach we take to doing this, encouraging and abandoning. It's really easy to get into the mindset of judging and fixing and trying to get rid of what we don't like or that we see as bad and trying to get and grasp on to what we want and consider good. And yet we can't really encourage the development of wholesome mind states by trying to make them happen through aversion or anger or impatience with the things we don't think are so good or with grasping and clinging to the thing, things that we think are good or with having really fixed views about how things are supposed to develop. And that's what we tend to do when we think, oh, this is bad, I'm going to get rid of it. This is good, I'm going to make it happen. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do this. <clears throat> Grit my teeth. And I'm reminded of what Philip Moffat gave us as advice in his retreat a couple of weeks ago that we should retrain, refrain from judging, comparing, and fixing. So this wise effort really has a lot more to do with seeing clearly and understanding what's going on and working with whatever is going on with patience and equanimity and interest too. I really love the expression one of my teachers, Michelle McDonald, has for this quality. It's not just awareness, but affectionate awareness. So we bring this kind of quality of kindness to whatever we're seeing. 
And I think it's really important, too, to remember that just bringing mindfulness to a difficult emotion or mind state, that in itself is already encouraging the wholesome and abandoning the unwholesome. Because if you're aware of your aversion, for example, you're no longer caught in your aversion. You're sort of abandoning that aversion for the wholesome mind state of um, mindfulness, awareness, maybe patience in working with it. So some things to think about for wise effort. And I'd also like to say, and something I feel I need to remind myself of too, is that although this wise effort is kind and balanced, it has a quality of persistence too. So, you know, we all have our ups and downs, you know, times when we're enthusiastic and times when we're discouraged, times when we need to step back and recover from what's overwhelming and times when we can push ahead and look deeper. But whatever that situation is, we keep going. And so this quality that, you know, we keep going, we keep going. Um, and as we continue with this wise effort too, we can really have faith that these processes, these practices, sooner or later, they're going to lead us to that liberating wisdom that we've heard about that frees us from delusion and from the pain of greed and hatred. And you know, this faith really comes back again to wise effort in the sense that we don't really have to get rid of things, but it's more like our understanding of the truth really freezes from them. So they kind of go away of their own accord. And this wisdom is something we can't force. It develops in its own time and its own way. But we can do our best to create the conditions that will help it to flower through this bhavana, this cultivation, you know, cultivating our understandings of the teachings through study, through listening to the Dharma, cultivating our mindfulness practice on and off the cushion. So we can really see the truth of the way things are for ourselves, cultivating concentration. If we find ourselves scattered and distracted, cultivating loving kindness, so many possibilities and we can each look within and see where our heart really leads us now at this present time in this work of cultivation. So let's sit together for a moment. And I'd like to end the, the talk with the quote from the Dhammapada. Follow the truth of the way, reflect upon it, and make it your own. Live it, it will always sustain you.
Thank you all for coming this morning, for being here, listening. For our discussion today, I invite you to, you know, reflect a bit on your own practice of developing wisdom and maybe think about and share what you're especially drawn to cultivate. Now, you might not have a clear answer this time. I mean, maybe your answer is like, I have so many things that I can't even decide. But you can start that exploration, maybe share a little about your exploration. And I'd encourage you too to maybe continue reflecting on that over this week about, you know, what you really feel drawn to cultivate in your own practice. So I'll divide you into groups and you can um, share with each other on this topic um, for about 15 minutes or so. Okay, very good. So now we have some time to uh, share with each other. You know, maybe you want to share what you uh, talked about, what you feel moved to cultivate. I, I kind of wanted to share my own thoughts about cultivation before everybody else begins because I didn't really get around to doing that in the talk and um, maybe get you started. And I found that what came up for me, one thing was wise effort because I'm really feeling like um, it would be useful to get a good balance between that kind of not enough effort where I tend to, you know, procrastinate or get complacent versus that kind of effort where there's compulsion. So it's sort of give up the complacency and procrastination, but also give up the compulsion for a balanced effort. And then the other thing surprised me. Um, it was cultivation of meta. And I think that's because these cats that I've recently inherited are such little furry meta machines that they just are bringing up all sorts of meta in my heart. And I think that's a sign that maybe that's a good thing to cultivate. So I'd like to open the floor to all the rest of you to also share in your thoughts about cultivation. So you can uh, raise your virtual hand if you would like or raise your physical hand so I can see you. Anyone that would like to speak? Oh, Jerry, I see you making motions there. <laughs> uh, yeah, just kind of in response to what you were just saying, it's kind of uh, yeah, not too much in that effort, it's wise effort. And yeah, the, what came up in our small group was uh, the middle path. Yeah, it's like it's you know, avoiding the extremes and some sort of you know, the middle path. It's kind of a, like a helpful guidance in many situations. I agree. Thank you, Jerry. And let's see, we have uh, Nikhil and Lillian. I'm not sure which of you, but one of you, maybe both of you. Um, yeah, I think so. What I had shared in the group was similar to what you had mentioned about what cultivating wise effort. And I think for me, I'd been thinking about it mostly just in terms of practice and how it's difficult for me to 
find that, that kind of like I think what Jerry refers to as the middle path if either it's too loose and it's too relaxed and there's not you know there's not enough effort there to 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 practice effectively or it's too far in the other extreme where there it's overly um yeah it's like overcompensating right really trying to trying to focus and um overexerting and but I think what you mentioned um Lindell just now maybe think of it in other areas of my life too where I struggle with that where um I I, I am very slow at doing almost anything just like whether it's a chore an errand something that's not important I just I move very slowly and just um something that takes you know William 10 or 15 minutes to do will take me an hour and I I kind of struggle to um either I can kind of like operate like that and I can be you know uh, not stressed out while doing something, or I can try to do something more quickly if there's a time constraint. And I exert a lot of effort to do that and create a lot of stress and anxiety by trying to do something within, you know, whenever there is a deadline or whenever there's a, a, a small window of time that I have to get something done. Um, it's, it's been, I think it's difficult for me to be able to try and find the, um, find the ability to maybe have the awareness and ability to, do something with more do something more quickly and you know waste less time while doing it without also creating the stress and anxiety of trying to force myself to do it at the same time and so um yeah that kind of came up when you, when you shared mm, yeah thank you i for me too in in daily life it's also this sort of not just procrastination with the practice but with many activities that I don't necessarily want to do. And I bet a lot of us share that feeling. So thank you. It's good to remember the daily life aspects too, because they're really important. Suze? Well, what I shared in my group is that what I cultivate, and I think it falls under the mindfulness um, part of the three elements, um, is asking myself what's really happening here and having a relationship with the mind state that's up where i don't have to believe the mind state it just is that's all it is is a mind state and it's you know because of how i slept whether i ate what happened yesterday my habits and so just getting a little bit of a distance and asking, okay, well, is this really true? And is this really, and is it skillful and wholesome? And is it aligned with my values? And do I want to run with it? You know, so asking a lot of those questions um, is a really helpful way for me to cultivate, eventually getting to hopefully the wisdom and the truth of the matter. Thank you, Suze. That's a really beautiful example, too, of this process of sort of abandoning the unwholesome and encouraging the wholesome, because it sounds like there's this process of, you know, recognizing this difficult mind state and then bringing in, you know, the awareness, the investigation of what's going on, you know, is it true? So that's a really skillful uh, that's a great example. Yeah, these mind states are so attractive and seductive. Even the bad, even the ones that don't feel good. There's there's so much juice there. 
and um, it's so um, welcoming. It says, "Oh, this is this is where you need to go." So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Let's see. Anybody else? Oh, okay. Marianne. What came up for me is something that I was inspired to carry on with after that weekend with Philip Moffat. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd done body scanning before as, as a prelude to meditation. In fact, one of my teachers, Gorgu, who's a Chan teacher, emphasizes that as a start. But um, when someone else is leading it, it goes too quickly. And Philip Moffat mentioned in passing that if you're in a retreat with him, he might spend the first 45 minutes uh, cultivating that ground of awareness of, of what's going on in your body. And I did that during our medit initial meditation today. And it is so grounding for me, I'm finding, that uh, everything just stills, or I can feel things in in, in my body, uh, you know, what what's happening with the nerves or the heartbeat that I wouldn't notice before. And uh, so I would call, and then what I came away with afterwards was, ah, persistence. Mm. Persistence is very important. You know, stick out that 20 minutes or 40 minutes it's going to be of body scanning. <laughs> mm. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's really good advice for whether you're body scanning or whatever you're doing, really taking the time to look. And I also like um, your approach of finding an, a technique that really works for you. Mm -hmm and applying it. Very good. Yeah, uh, what was just said, uh, Marianne, uh, just made a reference to the body. I think, uh, I th think it's real typical that we imagine uh, the wisdom is kind of a brain thing. It's upstairs and figuring it out. And uh, I, I really like being reminded of the wisdom of the body. And the body knows. And, uh, and uh, a lot of our practice is tuning into that. And I certainly appreciate, oh, this, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. I'm, I'm tensing up. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting. I feel my muscles contracting, you know, and having this urge to do this or urge to pull back. And there's such a wisdom just you know, that can be known through mindfulness, the wisdom mm -hmm. of That's all. Yeah, thank you. I mean, the body is really, too, a connection to our direct experience of all these emotions and things. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So, okay, well, it's getting close to time to end. I really appreciate everyone sharing. We got a lot of good thoughts about cultivation. So I think with that, I will end our session this morning. Thanks to everybody for being here. It's so nice to see you all. <laughs>